Well, uh, my name is Ben Robertson. If we've not met, um, just wanted to introduce myself to you. And I am the campus minister with Reform University Fellowship over at William & Mary. And so Dennis asked me to preach today, especially because we were honoring our outgoing students. And um, it's just a real privilege to serve uh, alongside this church and with this church and part of this church uh, to the campus. And um, sad to see our seniors going of all stripes. And uh, I am and my wife and children are as well. <laughs> as uh, my kids were leaning over and whispering the names of the different ones of you that they've gotten to know, and of course Hampton taking off, uh, abandoning us this summer. <laughs> Benjamin leaned over and said, that's Hampton. <laughs> when, uh, when Hampton came to the mic, he's like, yep, that's, he's a Hampton, isn't he? That's what he says, actually. He is. Um, but today we're going to be looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark. A very familiar story where Jesus calms the storm, the end of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. Um, and Mark, in his gospel, has been setting the stage, uh, wanting us to ask the question of who Jesus is. What is his identity? Who is this man? So we pick up Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35. We read this. On that day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat. And the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for inspiring it by your spirit. We thank you for Christ who worked this miracle and spoke these words. Thank you for his disciples who recorded it for us and for the church who through the centuries has kept the record and for the work of scholars and translators to preserve it and to put it into English. So here now we can read it and hear it and see the story afresh. But we need more than a good translation to understand your word. We need you, Holy Spirit. So come, open our ears, unscale our eyes, and soften our hearts so that we might see and hear and believe and be changed. We ask this in your name. Amen. I watch the Weather Channel a lot. Well, I used to. I don't actually get the Weather Channel now. I just look at my Weather Channel app every day on my phone. Um, but I want to play um, local meteorologist with you right now. Um, I think it would be kind of fun. And I sort of feel like the local meteorologist is a dying breed. I'm thinking the, the national maps. I, I even think now that they are secretly looking at their iPhones uh, when they make their forecast. But no, just kidding. If you're a local meteorologist, I respect you <laughs> reverently. Um, but what's going on here in this storm? Storms happen uh, a lot, but where they are, they're on this place called the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. 
Uh, 30 miles to the north of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, whose peak is 9,200 feet. So you've got a, a, a giant lake who's 700 feet below sea level and just 30 miles away, 10,000 feet above them, is this mountain peak. So of course, at the top of the mountain, what do you have? Very cold air. And over a body of water that's sitting in an arid climate in the sun all day, what happens at night? That, that water is warm from the sun. It creates a warm front. And so the cold front moving in, you can picture the meteorologist here. Imagine I have a blue screen, OK? The warm front moves in, or the warm front comes up from the water. The cold front comes down from the mountain. And the two mix and make, of course, a lukewarm front. Um, no, that's not what happens. <laughs> Everyone knows you don't have to be a weatherman to know this creates a storm. It creates a violent storm. And to this day, parking lots next to the Sea of Galilee actually have warning signs that say storms are, are, are prone to come up. And when they do, they're very vigorous, so much so that this lot will be flooded. So be forewarned when you park your car next to the Sea of Galilee, especially whoever's going to Nazareth soon. You might, yeah, might want to hike to the Sea of Galilee. Um, but this storm was a big one. I mean, this is a place known for big storms, but it was a big one even for the Sea of Galilee. We know that because the men that Jesus uh, is crossing the, 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 the lake with, they are fishermen, and they're used to fishing this very lake. They're accustomed to the frequent storms that come up, and yet they are very, very afraid. It was very intense. They are upset. They are disturbed. They believe that they are going to die. They are afraid. The disciples are afraid of the storm. I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What's your storm? What takes your attention off of trusting in Jesus? What circumstance in your life is creating total chaos? Are you afraid of rejection? Afraid of putting yourself out there? Um, I would ask her out, but what if she says no? The students, right? Um, are you afraid of the future, seniors? Are you afraid of the future, early 30s parents? Are you afraid of the future? What's going to happen? Will I have my security? Will I have my job? Will I have my family? Are you afraid, parents, who have students leaving the home? What will happen to them when they leave? Are you afraid, parents, that your children will never leave the home? And what will happen to me <laughs> if they don't leave? Are you afraid of being alone? Or sometimes even more terrifying, are you afraid of being known? Of having someone in your life who won't go away? Um, a while back, I had a stress dream. It's about two years ago. Um, I think I, I have them, you know, every, every now and then. Here's, here's my dream. I, as you know, I, I am a campus minister over at the college. And uh, it, in my dream, it was an RUF large group meeting. And uh, I went up front to preach. And I turned around. And there were way more people than are usually there. I'm thinking, great. And then I look down. And there's no notes, right? And I realize I have not prepared any. Like, there's nothing. And I'm scrambling around. And I flip through the Bible and just sort of you know, pick a verse and start like pontificating off the top of my head, kind of like I am now. And, um, and people just start, they're angry, they're just shaking their heads. And then they start to stand up. All the new people like stand up off the back row, just start filing out of the room like, no, no. And then I, and then I wake up. Um, 
what does that uh, reveal about me? What am I afraid of? Well, that's an exposure dream, right? Um, you know, uh, everyone has had the dream where you showed up to junior high in your underwear. You know, that, that's the pastor's version. Like, not having your sermon notes is the, is the waking up in my underwear dream. Um, but uh, not just exposure, that people will know that I'm a sham, but then that they would reject me, right? That you're not good enough. This very thing that you're supposed to do and be, this is your job, and it's not good enough for us, and so we're leaving. Um, this idea that a little terrier is going to come run back and pull back the curtain, and everyone will see the frantic little man hiding behind. Um, I know what you're thinking right now. We know you're not a Wizard of Oz, Ben. Uh, <laughs> there's not a terrier. There's not even a curtain, much less a, a figure behind you. But you know what I mean, that fear of being exposed the fear of being known. And Mark and Jesus want us to think about fear. Uh, Mark puts several stories back to back to back where the theme of fear is laid out. And the first one is this. The next, there's a story of a man who's possessed by demons. It's very odd and strange. Jesus casts the demons out and they go into these pigs and they run off the side of the cliff. And then the people from the town come and see that the man is sane and they're terrified. Mark says that they are afraid. They're partly afraid of Jesus and his power, but they're also afraid that he is disrupting their livelihood and their lifestyle, and they want things to stay as they were. And then there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, who sneaks into a crowd, and she thinks, secretly, touches Jesus on the hem of his cloak. And the text tells us that she was trembling with fear. Fear of what? Fear of being exposed. Fear of being shamed. Fear of being told she wasn't welcome here, and then a man named Jairus, whose 12-year-old little girl is on her deathbed. And when he finally gets to Jesus, as soon as he has told Jesus what's going on, men come and report to him that his daughter is already dead, and Jesus turns to him and says, do not fear, only believe. Jairus was afraid of death, of losing the one that he loves, and the disciples here are afraid of death. Don't you care that we are perishing? And all these other fears that we have they're all little kinds of death. 20th century German theologian put it this way. His name is Nilke. Every angst that human beings experience participates in the death angst. Death angst is one word because he's German and they make up words. <laughs> Every angst that human beings experience participates in the death angst. He is right. And I think Mark wants us to see that too. We fear ultimately death, and everything else is a type of death. Death of a relationship, death of my reputation, death of my comfort, death of my ability, death of my self-worth. And that's why we say things. We do it intuitively. This class is killing me, right? I'm going to die. And the truth is that we one day all will die, very literally, if Jesus does not return first. Our congregation has been reminded of that very poignantly even this week with the loss of Tony Gibson. And last week, I sat right there on the back row while his two sons stood here and wept and prayed and honored and grieved and rejoiced over their father, whom they had lost. And it will be the same for all of us. These disciples, they are afraid of death, just like you and me. Their boat is filling with water. They say we are going to die, and it seems like a real and legitimate fear, doesn't it? 
Um, it's not a strange phobia. They didn't just have a stress dream. It's a real threat to their lives. And how did they come into the situation where they are having this near-death experience? Look at verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. How are we going to get to the other side at night, Jesus? In a boat? On a lake that's 700 feet below sea level next to a mountain that's 10,000 feet above it? Jesus led them into the storm. And it would seem, Mark wants us to believe, on purpose. It was his idea to cross the lake, not theirs. He led them right into it. See, some problems or storms are because of our own foolishness or our own sinfulness or our own mistakes. But others, Jesus brings you into on purpose. You're in the storm because you were obeying his orders. First Peter puts it like this. Do not be surprised when you face trials and sufferings as if something strange were happening. Hear what he's saying. Storms will happen. Suffering will occur. That is actually normal life. Things not going the way that you want them to. And I will tell you quite honestly that I don't think that way. Um, I want things to be easy and nice. And I really think deep down that if I do things the way that I'm supposed to, if I'm really honoring God, if I really have a pure heart, if I'm really keeping my nose clean, then things will go well and I won't have storms. Such that when they come, I question why, what is going on? And when things are hard and I do suffer, I begin to think I must have really done something wrong. Or there must be some way that I can quickly and easily fix this. Not true. Not true. It's this subtle version. As much as I can't stand it, the, the slick TV preacher that I watch once a month every now and then when I'm clicking through, and then Dawn says, why do you keep watching this? Why are you yelling at the television in front of our kids? Just like, you know what he's going to say. You know, you don't be surprised. And yet, as much as I judge those false preachers, I realize that that little preacher's in my heart. I'm just as guilty as he is in so many ways of thinking. I can manipulate, I can control, I can good enough my way to God giving me the comfort and the wealth and the ease and the success and the reputation and the raise or whatever it is I'm being promised or whatever it is that isn't going my way. But this passage tells us that Jesus leads us into storms. And that is incredibly frustrating, to say the least. I don't like storms. I don't like being afraid. I don't like feeling like my future is insecure. I don't like being out of control. I don't like having difficult solutions or no solution, solutions for the problems that I run into. And I ask you, why? Why does he do that? Why does Jesus lead us into storms? Why does he put us in these situations? Doesn't he care? That's exactly what the disciples ask him. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you care? Look at verse 38. What's his response before they say that? Verse 38, why do they ask him that? Because he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. 
sleep on the cushion. Short side note, a little phrase on the cushion, take note of it. I want you to note it because it's otherwise insignificant. It doesn't really add anything to the story or move the plot forward. And I would just point out that studies uh, on genre of literature, often the, the New Testament Gospels are criticized or speculated upon as being mythologies or legendary tales of a great teacher that were not meant to be historical accounts. The New Testament is peppered with eyewitness detail, little incidental notes that would not, be, would not fit with the genre of legend or myth, but at least Mark, at the bare minimum, is claiming by including that detail to be an eyewitness account. Just want to throw that out there, just so you know. But what's the point of the cushion? What's he doing on the cushion? He's sleeping. Do you ever feel like Jesus has fallen asleep on you? Husbands and wives, when you're up late at night, sharing your hearts with each other, does one of you ever drift off to sleep and the other prod you and say, hey, don't you care? I can identify with the disciples here um, in assuming that asleep equals doesn't care, right? Um, Don't you care that I'm hurting? Don't you care that I'm scared? Don't you care that we are going to die, that I'm dying? If you cared, you wouldn't be letting this happen. If you love me, you'd be keeping me safe from all this difficulty in the first place. Part of what this story is showing us is that that just isn't the case. It's just not the case. That Jesus has his reasons that even when he is sleeping, he's up to something. He's up to something. But he does wake up. Look at verse 39. And he awoke... And he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. My next-door neighbors have a dog. His name is Captain. Um, And uh, Captain is half bulldog, half British bulldog, half boxer. And he's just this, like, happy-go-lucky monster. Uh, He's just this barrel-chested dog. I was uh, taking the trash out one night in the dark. And he came, he was out back and he came barreling around. We live in a, in a townhome, so we share a wall and a backyard with our neighbors. And uh, Captain comes barreling around and I, you know, dropped my trash and was like just utterly mortified. You know that moment where you jump in the air and you just realize, oh, it's Captain, it's okay. And uh, my children, of course, to, to him, to them, he's this massive, you know, barrel-chested dog. And sometimes uh, Benjamin will come running in, he's five, uh, just turned five, and he'll come in and say, Mom, there was this captain dog named Captain in the backyard, and just, you know, he's just out of breath. He's this, he's this massive beast of a dog, and he runs around in the backyard. But the really cool thing is that when Will, my neighbor, uh, steps out on his back porch, he just says, Captain, and Captain comes. Even if he's out in the woods, he comes bolting back to the deck. Even if he's pl- playing slash terrifying my children, uh, you know, running around them. The moment Will speaks, Captain is so well-trained, he just comes. Uh, it's, uh, It's an awesome thing to see. Jesus speaks that way to storms. The language, he rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace be still is the kind of correction you would give to a child or to your pet if they're making too much noise. Hush, be still. Be quiet, and the wind and the waves obey. But not just that. There's something even, it's even more incredible where it says, and there was a great calm. The language, the description of that in terms of the nautical descriptions used. Have you ever been to a lake 
when it's so still that you can see just this perfect reflection of the trees on the lake? Have you ever seen that or seen like good photography uh, where, where that's just really captured? That's the picture that we're given. Uh, a raging storm where a boat is being tossed about like a child playing with a toy in the bathtub and then suddenly glass. If it were an episode of Lost, that's where the screen goes black, the white letters come up and scary, like this eerie, strange, what in the world am I watching? Everything turned upside down. Jerome, early church father, put it this way, that when Jesus spoke, creation recognized its creator. The children's Bible, the Jesus storybook Bible, elaborates on Jerome and says this, the wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice because they had heard it before, of course, in the very beginning when he had spoken them into being. Isn't that amazing? See, Jesus, through this storm, is showing the disciples something about himself, what it means to trust him. And listen to these passages from the Psalms that talk about God, the Lord's relationship to the wind and the waves and to water. Listen to these three psalms. Psalm 29 first. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, did you hear the voice over the waters? Do you know that I'm enthroned upon them? Do you know who I am? Psalm 65, the Lord who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of your signs. And here the disciples are sitting in awe and fear over this Lord who stills the roaring of the seas. In Psalm 107, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. And the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. The waves of the sea were hushed. The Lord delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still. He is saying something about who he is. He is saying, disciples, I am the Lord. And that's why he says to them, why were you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Don't you know who I am? We'll come back to that in a second. But first, I want you to notice that he doesn't, you know, wake up and say, you know, guys, that was pretty scary. I get it. You know, storms. I could understand why you were acting that way. Is everybody okay? Maybe I pushed you a little too far. Can I fix you a snack? That's, that's what I would say. He's rebuking them. He's correcting them for being afraid. Frederick Bruner puts it like this. There is something moral about faith. It is often a form of courage. And its absence, cowardice. We learn that faith is not simply the passive acceptance of truths, a weak resignation that just believes. 
Faith is often depicted in the Gospels as a courageous confidence, and here's the, here's the kicker, a courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. Courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. Now, don't misunderstand when Bruner says that faith has an ethical side to it. He's not saying that it's somehow meritorious or that we earn God's favor by the work of faith in some way. And that's not what I'm saying either. But he is saying that in the Bible, there is this command, this imperative to believe and to not be afraid. Don't doubt my love, he is saying. Don't you care? And don't doubt my word. I told you in verse 35 that we were going to go to the other side of the lake. And since I told you that, we're going to do it. Don't be afraid. Have faith. And this is the part of the sermon where at stage left enters guilt, right? A little bit of shame. Um, And here's what I mean. What is wrong with you people? Where is your faith, right? Why are you so afraid Quit worrying about your trivial problems. If you would just believe better, you wouldn't be so cowardly and depressed and anxious. Just try harder at believing. Well, that's not what Bruner's saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what I'm saying. Because note the emphasis here still. The courageous confidence, it is a courageous confidence that Jesus is equal to the occasion. That Jesus is up for it. That's what Jesus is getting at. That's what he wants from us. Do you still not have faith? I've healed. I've forgiven sins. I've taught you with authority. Did you forget who you were dealing with? Do you still not understand who I am? Is his rebuke. Do you believe that Jesus is equal to your occasion? Is he big enough for your storm? Can he handle it? Does he have the power to say, peace, and be still to your storm? But it's fascinating how the disciples respond. Look again at verse 41. And they were filled with great fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. It literally says they feared great fear. They are terrified, is what Mark is telling us, and they are more afraid of Jesus now than they were of the storm before. And in one sense, that's half right. That is the reaction that they should have because at that moment they are seeing him a little bit more for who he is. It's like when you're out at night and a storm is coming up, but it hasn't started raining yet. And there's that one bolt of lightning and you couldn't see a thing before. And now suddenly everything is lit up and you see it as it is. It's a lightning flash is happening here. And they're suddenly seeing Jesus, a little glimpse, a little flash, a little window into his power and his glory and who he is. And they are utterly unsettled. They are utterly afraid. And if a flash like that could unsettle his disciples so much, what would his full revelation do to you and me in all of his glory? See, the disciples and we are learning what the children inside the wardrobe learned when they just found out that Aslan was a lion. Remember that? Lion, the witch in the wardrobe. And sweet Lucy says, he's a lion, but is he quite safe? And you remember the beaver's response. Who said anything about being safe? course he isn't safe but he's good 
He isn't safe, but he's good. He is not a tame lion, as they go on to explain. Bruner goes on further about faith. He says this, Faith, the way Jesus wants us to relate to him, as important as that is, is not the theme of this story. Jesus' salvation of even weak in faith disciples is. The point is, even when our faith is excessively fearful, do you hear that? Even when our faith is excessively fearful, Jesus hears our cry, gets up, rebukes the wind and the sea, and creates calm. Jesus helps us however we come to him. Just come. And then he gives an exclamation point. I read a lot of commentaries. They're not free with the exclamation points. Uh, It's not a common thing. When a commentator uses an an exclamation point, he wants you to pay attention. And he is saying, even if you are fearful, even if you are doubting, even if you are struggling, even if you are not sure, come to Jesus because he can save. Even if you are doubting, even if you are afraid. Why? Because faith is not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the thing that your faith is in. Faith saves because faith is not about the strength of your faith. It's about the strength of the thing that your faith is in. And Jesus is equal to the occasion. And he is worth coming to even if you're not even sure you want to. Or even if you're terrified of what he might show you on the other side of that faith. Come to him. Come to him and believe. But can we? Can we trust him? Because, you know, the disciples are frustrated because he's asleep on the cushion, but we don't even get to see him asleep on the cushion, do we? Where's my peace be still? And where is yours? Uh, When I was first studying this passage in in, in any sort of great depth, I found that a lot of the commentators were pointing out parallels between this story and the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. And at first, if you haven't read Jonah, I'd encourage you, it's like two or three pages, get with a friend and read it this afternoon sometime if you're unfamiliar with that story. Um, but at first I thought, oh, that's sort of interesting, trivial information. That's nice. Um, but then I began to think maybe I should listen to those guys. They might be onto something here. Maybe this is significant. I want to point out a few contrasts with, between Jesus and Jonah. In the story of Jonah, Jonah is avoiding God's call. In the story of Jesus, Jesus is creating it and following it. Jonah endangers his passengers by his presence, and Jesus keeps them safe. Jonah is powerless and he has to submit to the storm, Jesus forces the storm to submit to him. Jonah, afterwards, the sailors, it says they do fear the Lord and they offer sacrifices to him in gratitude and worship. In Jesus, afterward, the sailors are more scared of him than they are of the storm. And they are wondering, instead of thanking God, they're wondering if maybe Jesus is God. And one other huge difference in the stories. In the story of Jonah, Jonah is thrown into the water and swallowed by the great fish and spat out on the shore three days later. But Jesus stays dry. Why? Jesus later talks about the sign of Jonah, and he says this in Matthew chapter 12. For just as Jonah was three days In the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days in the heart of the earth. That means buried in his tomb. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. He is saying the sign of Jonah is my death 
and resurrection. Jesus was flung not into the sea, but onto his cross. Three days not in a fish, but in his tomb, and not vomited to the shore in shame, but resurrected from the grave in glory. Don't you care that we are perishing? Huge irony in that question. Disciples, you don't even know what perishing is. I'm going to show you what it looks like on the cross. Don't you care? I have no idea how much I care. That is why I've come. I will perish so that you won't. I will give you the sign of Jonah. I will rise so that you will live. And what's interesting about these disciples, they're spared from death in this story. But you know what I know about all those disciples? They're all dead now. And many of them died. Most of them died by being persecuted and put to death because they weren't afraid and had faith in Jesus when he led them into that storm. Now, why are they so afraid here, but so confidently courageous later? It's because they had seen the sign of Jonah. It's because he had died and risen from the grave. They would enter into that storm, and you and I will as well. Storms howl. They do. And we get scared. We do. But that sign of Jonah, that resurrection of Christ, that is our peace be still. That is our mark of confidence. The storms will come. But Jesus is equal to the occasion. And then some. As Jesus said to Jairus about his daughter, do not be afraid, but believe. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are powerful, that you are good, that you have authority over all things. We ask that you would now be by our spirit. Give us faith. Give us faith by the Holy Spirit and strengthen us that we might walk in newness of life. We ask this in your name. Amen.